listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, as promised to connect groups, I told you that... Your sole job last week, not your sole job, but the first thing to do is I wanted to hear some of the best Christian pickup lines that you could come up with, all right? Now, I, I, got, I got a lot of funny things. I already see the, the one, someone who is gonna, I'm gonna call out in a minute. She's already cheesing. She knows I'm about to, about to call her out. Um, so anyway, I, I think it's fair to say like we all, <laughs> we all have a different sense of humor, um, I think sometimes my humor is kind of mainstream and sometimes it's just weird, you know what I mean? And if you don't think that you laugh at weird things too, it's fine. But, you know, I, I got the, the typical like Christian pickup lines. This is like, are, are, are you the Holy Spirit? Because when I'm around you, there's a fire burning inside of me. You know, like I, I got those and that's good. And, and as y'all are finishing up with your group, there was like a, a text stream from all the connect group leaders and it was like cheesy but like romantic cheesy like I'm I'm really wanting to make a big gesture with this pickup line and then all of a sudden an anti pickup joke came in and it was just fantastic uh Clarice McKinnon right there y'all give it up for Clarice she found the the weird niche in my humor deep in the crevice of my soul for anti-pickup jokes. And, and hers was, hey, did you fall from heaven because you remind me of Satan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I, like, I, I love it so much. Like, I'm like, that's great. Like, I'm never going to say that. But hey, the good thing is, if you ever use that, it's everything's up from there, right? And so, Clarice, thank you so much for making me laugh hard. I really appreciate it. Um, and so that is Andrew and Emily's connect group. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Cool. Awesome. So good job, guys. You don't get like a pizza party. This isn't high school. All right. You, you just got your, your pickup joke read. Hey, I don't know about you, um, but there was a, there was a point um, in, in high school and especially, especially college where I was still having to take basic classes. Like, can we just agree like basic classes are mainly useless? All right, okay, thank you. Someone thinks loves their basics and they hate me for saying that. But so especially in high school, my junior year, I encountered something called trigonometry, right? And so what, what happened, uh, maybe you relate to this, what happened is I felt pretty good about my intelligence until I started taking trigonometry. And I realized I'm not as smart as I think I am. And, and so here's the problem, like we, we get into these like complex equations, you know what I mean? Where it's like, if so-and-so starts at point A and goes at an angle of 33 degrees at 500 miles per hour and then starts to descend at 23 degrees and blah, 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 uh, what time will he land in Charleston? I'm like, where did he start? Like, they didn't even say where it started. It just expects me to, like, know what that answer is. And so what, what began to happen is I realized at that point that I was called to ministry because I never want to do math like that ever again. Like, really, I, I decided, I actually told my teacher that. I said, I, I'm, I'm going in the ministry. Like, I, I don't need to know this anymore. Um, and I, you, you can imagine that went over well. But what I decided is from that point, like, 
I don't want to do anything that requires me to have to be the guy that knows the answer to that. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, don't ever ask me if, you, if you're flying somewhere. Like, just, just buy the plane ticket. Enjoy the ride, okay? Like, that, let the smart people figure that stuff out. So here's the thing. I, I felt that way in school. I felt like it came to this point, like, these things I'm learning are not relevant for my life anymore. Like, they, I don't want to learn them. They're, they're not helping me. They're, it's not helping me with life. Like, the wisdom I'm seeking and, and all that stuff like that is not coming from this. And I was, I was right. It hasn't helped me. I haven't needed that at all. Here's what I think is interesting. I think a lot of times we, we can think that way about Scripture. All right? Like, if you've, if you've read it a little bit or read it a lot, if you've maybe gone through a reading plan, you decided I'm going to start in Genesis and end in Revelation, and then you only make it to like Leviticus, and you're like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. You made it three books in, good. But like if you've read the Bible, you've encountered something, you know this, you've read something, if you're like, why is this here? You know what I mean? Like this, this isn't helpful. Like God, this, it's 2020. Can we just cut this out? Like this is weird. Like why is this in here? Like some lady drove a peg through some dude's head. Like why do we need to put that there? Do any of y'all know that story? Anybody? Somebody, y'all don't know that story? Okay, somebody. <laughs> Sarah, is that Sarah? Can't see the light. Okay, Sarah Peters knows. Go check it out. It's amazing. But not now. We're gonna we'll do this. All right, so here's just an example. Look, Numbers chapter 26, verse five. Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, the sons of Reuben, of Hanak, the clan of the Hanakites, of Palu, the clan of the Paluites, of Hezron, the clan of the Hezronites, of Carmi, the clan of the Carmites. These are the clans of the Reubenites. So let me keep going. Okay, I'll keep going. And those listed were 43,730. And the sons of Palu, Eliab, the sons of Eliab, Nemuel, Dathan, and Abiram. Y'all want me to keep going? Okay, I'll keep going. Uh, these are the... Who cares, right? Why are these names here? Seriously, I, I just... I don't even know how to pronounce it. I was just going for it. You know what I mean? Like, there's probably... A, I, and this goes on for verses and verses and verses. So here's the deal. I got to admit to you, by the way, I, I know why these are here. These are important. But there was a time in my life where I, I honestly, that emotion like, this is boring. Why is this here? I'm not going to read it. Like, I, I really felt that way. I thought, this is so irrelevant to my life. This has nothing to do with anything that I ever want to know or need to learn to, like, succeed in life, all right? Or even have, even for my faith, like, getting spiritual, this isn't helpful, and I thought that until someone older and wiser came alongside me and, and showed me. He said, hey, you know those genealogies and how it also lists different clans, the tribes of Israel and Judah and how there's all these specific names and things like that. He says, you know what's cool about that? What that shows you is that the Bible wasn't trying to make stuff up. Like the Bible reflects real life. It's like normal people with, with boring history. Like it's, it's, the Bible has no agenda. So when you're reading boring parts, like if the Bible had an agenda, if all this stuff was fake, like they'd probably cut this out. You know what I mean? Probably like no one wants to read this. This, this wouldn't make a bestseller, all right? And another thing he began to show me is this, like actually what we use genealogies for is, is whenever they write people's names in the context it was written, the people that had access to hear the word of God, they could, they could confirm that, like, their names are there. Like, oh, yeah, that is that dude's cousin or brother or dad or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And here's what's cool. Because the Bible records this, we can actually trace the genealogy of Jesus. You see that he in, indeed was in the lineage of David. Y'all tracking with me? And, and there are people's names written and, and, and all those names written represented families that kind of spread out. And, and, and so what, what was unique, you don't, 
you don't register with this now, is it really meant a lot? It really meant a lot where you were from and all that stuff like that. This is not the point. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here in a second. But it took someone older and wiser than I am to kind of come alongside me and show me, hey, there's a, there's a point like the Bible. Even these parts are relevant to your life. They're relevant to your faith. I think a lot of us in this room, when it comes to, to dating, singleness, marriage, anything in that area, we... We, we kind of think of the Bible in the way that's tempting to think about Numbers 26. Like, you don't have anything to offer me. Like, Scripture, like, no. Like, you're, like the way marriage was is weird. Like, arranged marriages, like, like weird stuff. Like, there's, I don't see dating in here. It's kind of hard to find. Like, you don't have anything to offer me. And so what we kind of do is we just kind of make stuff up, right? Or just like, ah, I'm going to kind of follow my heart here. Like, I, I think this would be good, right? So here's the issue with that. Um, the, the Bible does speak to it. And I think maybe some of you can be like me, how I was with Numbers 26 and all that stuff, and, and thinking wrongly. And, and what we need, I think what you need in this room is someone a little bit older and wiser than you to kind of come alongside and encourage you and show you actually, hey, the Bible does actually speak into these areas. The, the Bible is actually relevant. And so I'm the older and wiser person. I'm just joking, I'm not. The older and wiser person tonight that we're gonna read from is the Apostle Paul. So I want you to open your Bibles. We're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter seven. 1 Corinthians chapter seven. And so here's the, here's the problem. Like even if you... Even if you are kind of with me and tracking, like, okay, the apostle Paul, he was, he was wise. One, he was single. What does he have to tell us about dating? And like, today in the modern day, some of you educated me. You helped me kind of understand how you sort of start a dating relationship, like through the lens of the Snapchat, Instagram number, maybe. Sometimes maybe you kind of mix it up a little bit. Like back then, you just gave someone a camel. That's how you showed a gesture, right? All right? So that's Paul's time. So like, to be fair... Okay, he's a wise guy, but can he really offer us something in 2020? Here is the question I want to get at. And I think if you haven't asked this before, you need to ask it sincerely tonight because it's going to come up. What could the Bible possibly teach us about dating and marriage? What could it possibly teach us about these things in the modern world? Is that fair to ask? And so what we're going to do tonight and, and the way that I, I experienced the blessing of having someone older and wiser teach me, we're gonna look to the Apostle Paul, someone very, very much older <laughs> and much wiser than us as we read. And so here, here's something I wanna, I wanna I ask you to, to open up your Bibles, but just a few caveats for you. Um, will you actually go over to 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses one through nine? Save your spot. What happens is that we jump straight into chapter seven, but really, whenever this letter was first written, when any letter was first written, it was read in full. And so the, the, the church was hearing everything Paul had to say all at one time in context. And so I want you to know, here's Paul's heart, and it kind of reflects my heart tonight. Starting in verse one in chapter one of 1 Corinthians, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all lean into this. Some of you remember this from our sermon series back in the spring. 
I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul does a lot of things right here in the beginning, but basically what he's saying, he's saying, I love you, I'm praying for you, I'm grateful for you, I see Christ in you, I believe that you're a Christian. And right after this, what Paul does is he goes headfirst, though, into all of the issues that the Corinthian church was facing and dealing with. And in 1 Corinthians 7, where we're at, is he's sort of covering a, a range of, of uh, marriage and, and singleness and sexuality and all those things like that. And that's where we're at. And so what I'm going to tell you, even though many of you, um, partially because I'm still newer, I don't know you as this close friend. But when God calls a pastor to a church or to a ministry, it's hard to describe to you, there is a, a way in which automatically, because I know I'm called here, I, I care for you. And one of my primary job is to preach the word out of love for you. So what I want to just tell you, here's my heart. We're jumping into some things. My heart is not to set you up like a baseball on a team. Bam! You know what I mean? But what Paul does, I'm just going to tell you, he's going to confront us a little bit tonight. The word of God's going to confront us a little bit tonight. So I want you to know my heart is not to make you bitter, but to make you better. Okay? Does that make sense? So now... We're going to jump over to our main text tonight. And so what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm going to read two different little verses for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 16, it says, For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So asking the question, if you, you marry an unbeliever, how, how are you going to know? If they're going to be saved for husband and wife. And then I want you to jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Lots of, lots of chapter flipping. Y'all hang with me. We're almost, we're almost settled in. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is so important. important. Same guy. This is Paul. right? Same guy. Just second letter to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 15. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What could the Bible possibly teach us about dating and marriage in the modern world? I believe it's so clear. We're gonna get into it. The Bible teaches us Christians to date and marry only believers. Look at 2 Corinthians verses 14 through 15 of, of chapter 6 again. Unequally yoked. How many of you know what that means? A yoke, you had two oxen, okay? If they were of different size or wanting to go in a different direction, they would not be unequally yoked. You need them equally yoked going in the same direction to plow the field properly. If they were not, sometimes the yoke would break. It wouldn't work out. It wouldn't be a, a productive, efficient yoke. And so what he's saying is, is when a believer is paired with an unbeliever, it is an inefficient yoke. It is a yoke where they are going in two different directions. And where are those directions? Well, for one, light and darkness righteousness, lawlessness. Those given the portion of God, which means children of God and those that are not. 
And when you yoke yourself to that, what you're going to experience in a relationship that what Paul wants us to see is you're always going to be going in different directions. You're going to have different worldviews. You're going to think about different things. You're going to raise your kids differently. You're, you're like, I don't want to think about that yet. I don't blame you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 16, now let this speak. For how do you know, wife, whether you're going to save your husband? How do you know a husband, whether you save your wife? Like, this resonates so much, right? Like, oh, man. Why? I, I, I can save them. If I, if I date them and they, they see Jesus in me, then, like, they'll, they'll start coming to church. Girls, I'm going to tell you, he doesn't see Jesus in you. He, he, he's attracted to you. <laughs> That's why he's going to church with you. Listen, for those of you dating in the room, your boyfriend or your girlfriend is not your mission field. Hear me? Your boyfriend and your girlfriend is not your mission field. And it's so funny how all of a sudden we care so much about sharing the gospel when we want to date someone who's not a believer. Isn't that funny? God has not called you to that. Y'all ready for me to lean back a little bit? Let's kind of let the tension flow. All right, how many of you um, have already completed at least one year of college? One year of college, okay. So, so those are your first year. I'm gonna kind of, kind of fill you in. I think this happens as you get older. Um, I think that first year you, you enjoy going home for, for Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, especially if you're dating someone or the prospects look bright. Okay, but here's what kind of happens over time is that if you remain single over time when you go home for the holidays for Thanksgiving and Christmas and summer or COVID, which is like lots and lots of months and you're stuck at home, what begins to happen is you get little questions like, hey, are you talking? anybody right hey you seen anybody oh y'all broke up oh he was nice oh I really thought she was a good girl dang you blew it <laughs> I, I, I really rag on the guys more in here if you're new like it's just more fun I don't know why sorry guys I love you um it's because most of you are taller than me I've got to compensate um <laughs> so here's what happens we, we, we hear those things, and this can come from, from friends, like friends making joke about like, oh, you're single or whatever, whatever. We, and what happens is we start to feel this pressure that doesn't really exist in reality. And so we're like resting like, oh, I, like I, I got to find someone. And we, we kind of do really two main things is that we, we rush into it so fast. We find someone who don't really ask if they're a believer. We don't really care about their faith. Or, or we intentionally um, kind of lower our standards as, as Christians in dating and sometimes start dating someone or seeing someone that we know that doesn't, doesn't please God. Like we're, we're so rushed into it and pressured in it, all of a sudden it doesn't matter what God thinks. It's just like, yeah, I need to do this so, my, so people can get off my back because my identity is wrapped up, not in being loved by Jesus, but in by being loved by someone else. And so um, I'll tell you a story about a girl named Joy. Um, a joy despite a lot of us um, encouraging her. Um, hey, like, you, you can wait. It's, it's okay, like, like to just look for a godly guy. Look for a guy that loves Jesus. And uh, what began to happen is her parents were kind of pressuring her a lot. They come from a very traditional mindset. And, like, like if, if, if you're not married, like, you're, you're not worth anything. And so that's, that, was, that was, to be fair, that was a lot of pressure, okay? That wasn't fair. 
But brothers and sisters in Christ at our church, we were encouraging her and helping her, and she began seeing this guy. And, and we knew he wasn't a believer. As soon as she started seeing this guy, she wasn't coming as much to church. We didn't see her as much. She wasn't coming to, to Bible study. Like there were like a several month period where I didn't see her. And when she comes back, she's, she's engaged. She's gonna be married like within a, a, another couple of months. Against, even then we're encouraging her joy. Like, man, please don't. Like I even preached a sermon with a, with a specific metaphor and application for joy. Like, yeah, that happens sometimes. I try not to do that here. But like, I was really concerned about her soul. And like, she still, she didn't listen. She didn't care. Um, and, and what began to happen is her, her church attendance totally plummeted. She, she got married to this man. Um, he wasn't like a bad guy. He wasn't a believer. Light, darkness, righteousness, lawlessness. Child of God, not a child of God. And what began to break my heart, y'all lean in here, is like, you're like, oh, that doesn't, doesn't really matter too much. I begin to ask myself, okay, they're married. Are they, are they gonna raise their kids telling them that there's a God or what he believes, that there's no God? And if they raise their kids saying that there's no God, how are they, their grandkids going to be raised? And, and before we know it, because of this decision, unless God intervenes miraculously, is she kind of indirectly but, but, but kind of directly going to be responsible for generations of people who never were, were taught the way of the Lord? You see where I'm going with this? So something that didn't seem like a big deal becomes a, a huge deal. I haven't seen joy in a, in a long time. And so when, when I tell you that serious story, do I think there's, sorry, my app is like, I'm like doing my notes and I'm like drawing highlighter on my iPad right now when I'm trying to check my notes. So <laughs> why did I tell you that? I, I, I want you to, to consider tonight that, that maybe, just, just maybe, that example uh, of the kids, like hey, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of extreme. Um, but just maybe that God knows what he's doing Maybe he's not giving you an ideal, like this is the ideal way to live, but maybe actually in telling you these things, he's setting up some, some guard posts that keep you from falling off the cliff. He's, he's setting up some boundaries for you that are gonna keep you going into a foreign land that you have no idea how to live in. You see where I'm going? You know what I mean? And so I, I feel this a lot. Listen, like I know... Um, <laughs> I, I, tend to, I tend to be serious. That's kind of how I lean. I tend to be a serious guy. My wife lets me know, hey, hey, why don't, you, why don't you chill about that? And so I get you. Sometimes, sometimes I need to chill about that, right? But I promise you that that's not true on this issue. Because here's the thing. A lot of us think, I, I just, I just want to date for fun, right? Like, it, it doesn't matter who it is, believer or unbeliever, like, it's just casual. Like, I'm trying to, you hear this so much, I'm trying to learn myself and, and figure out what's right for me. Figure out what I like and, and don't like. So you're kind of like, dude, just chill, all right? Like, you're kind of stepping on my toes here. And I'll admit, I'll admit, I, I am serious about this, but listen, I do think dating should be fun, but I think scripture is clear that it needs to be a believer, there's a guy by the name of Jonathan Pecluda. He led a, a ministry a long time in Dallas uh, called The Porch of College Students and Young Adults. Uh, thousands and thousands of them gathered every time. They did several dating series. And what he just said is, hey, the purpose of dating is not to have fun. The purpose of dating is to see if that person would be a good spouse. See that? 
Now, even as I say that, I can, I, I can see your eyes, by the way. I'm, I'm like eyes rolling to the back of the head or like just like, you know, shaking heads and all that stuff like that. But if you are a believer, I believe God's word has spoken. I, I, Jonathan McClude is right. And so it does, it, you can't have fun and all that stuff in dating. You, you, can, you can do all those things, but it does need to be a believer. And then number two, what you need to know is this idea of casual, flippant dating where you don't really care, right, about that other person's soul, but you're, you just feel this kind of attraction or whatever it may be. The idea of I'm just gonna date casually, I'm not gonna take this very seriously, it doesn't really matter. That idea Way over there in scripture. They're, they're not on different planets. They're on different galaxies. Like no Hubble telescope set up on the Bible could find that idea. It's so distant from the scriptural picture of how we're supposed to think about dating. That mindset, I want you to just lean into this. It's gonna be so hard to reconcile with God's will for you in this area. And so again, what I want you to consider is God just might know what he's talking about. And so date with the primary purpose, it doesn't mean whoever you date, well, I guess I'm gonna have to marry this person. No, that's not what it means, okay? Like some of you get in relationships like that you kind of rust and you admit like you, you weren't like attracted at the beginning to them and three weeks in, you're like, oh, I don't think it's working out. And you never tell them the real reason and they push you and push you and, and like, well, why do you wake up? Well, I think you're ugly. Well, why did you get into the relationship in the first place? You know what I mean? Like, how did you think that was gonna end? And so, like, when you date someone, don't ever say that, like, ever, all right? There's been, I guarantee you, there's been someone in here that said that, though, like the odds are. If you have, come talk to me. We can have a laugh about it. But don't ever do it again. So, so in dating, you're, you're, you're seeing if that person will make a good spouse. So just being logic, like, yes, you, you find someone that you, you, you find attractive. That's, that's good. That's a, that's a godly thing to think about. So what could the Bible possibly teach us about dating and marriage in the modern world? <laughs> it doesn't have to do with ugliness or whatever. Hey, hey, the Bible teaches us, and I hope you see this, like word for word scripture. It doesn't have to manipulate anything or like tell you this word means this. It's just... Boom, right there. The Bible teaches us as Christians to date and marry only believers. And so here's the thing, that's, that's helpful if you're getting into a relationship, that's helpful if you're in a relationship now, and quite honestly, it's okay if you're squirming a little bit, because I squirm a lot when I read the word of God. There's things that convict me every single day when I read the word of God, so that's fine. And some of you are reconsidering the relationship you're in right now based on the fact that it says not to be unequally yoked, and that's fine. So that's helpful for those situations. It's helpful when you're thinking about getting into a relationship. But what we also need to think about, man, my iPad's being weird, Siri just came up. Did I say a word that sounded like Siri? I'll have to, I'll have to listen to it. Anyway, may have to turn into an Android guy. I don't know. Apple's failing me tonight. <laughs> really, you have, have everything I've said tonight, that makes you react negatively? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> At least I know you're with me, gosh. <laughs> I, can I take a minute? I lost my place. Hold on. <laughs> All right. But we need to talk about what happens after you're in a relationship, right? And, and I gotta tell you, there, 
when we're in a relationship, I would say especially in the, in the Christian culture, in the church, because we like to make our struggles, we like to paint them with like pretty words, like, oh, we're struggling. <laughs> yeah, big struggle, you know what I mean? And so we need to talk about a struggle that we have when we're dating. Y'all turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 13. I just wanna lay out for you that the Bible does talk about in sexual immorality. There's, I'm not making this up. And so in verse nine of chapter six, Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Um, he keeps going on and lists several other things. Neither will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's not saying if you've ever sinned in this way, you're not here at the kingdom of God. It means that if you're in a continual pattern of sin without repentance and your identity is clearly soaked up in being immoral, then no, you don't have a place in the kingdom of God. God hasn't saved you because we're, we're not in a continual pattern of, of sin and darkness when we're believers. And then verse 13 of chapter 6 Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual, sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Like it, it's very clear what we can know just in our individual bodies. Hey, we're in sexual immorality, like sin, like not God's design automatically. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. He's designed us to be in such a way where if we were literally, if our life metaphorically was a temple, theoretically people could walk by and see the beauty of God via our life. Does that make sense? That's what God has called us to. And so we see that general picture in 1 Corinthians 6 and we jump over to chapter 7 again. And what I want to read to you in its full context is verses 1 through 9 of chapter 7. Y'all hang in there. It's some kind of marriage words, kind of some things that, uh, yeah, we don't normally talk about in church. So just hang in there with me. Now concerning the matters about which he wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So that, that's, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, you wrote this. It's, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. He's, he's about to tell them that that's not right. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So he's saying, they were, they were saying in Corinth, I think to swing the pendulum like they were in rampant sexual immorality. And they're like, you know what? In order to take care of that, no sex ever again. Like even if you're married. And so they swung all the way over here. And we don't talk about this a lot in church, right? I, can, I feel the awkwardness. I got you. And so they said, not for anybody. Not we're doing this anymore. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. Because of temptation to sexual immorality, like you're gonna struggle. Like the, you, you need to, and it's words that have each other. Then chapter, uh, verse three, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. I think you know what that means. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority, excuse me, over his own body, but the wife does. This idea that in marriage, you're giving yourself in union to one another. Verse five, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I bet many of you didn't know that the Bible actually talked about that so specifically. Now as a concession, verse six, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself, I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now I'm gonna explain why, explain, explain why I read verses one through nine. You see at chapter six, sexual immorality is clearly sin. 
And I want you to notice in the verses we just read, I'm going to stay kind of close to my notes, going to walk you through this. I want you to notice that the presupposition of the Bible, so what that means is the thoughts you should be presupposing how you should be thinking before you enter into an issue or situation, the presupposition of the Bible is that sex outside of marriage is, would be an example of lacking self-control. Y'all see that? So when you look at this passage as a whole, what you see in verses one through five is that when you're married, you need not withhold sexual relations with one another because it's a gift from God and a beautiful thing. In verses six through seven, you see Paul saying, some have the gift of singleness like him, others have the gift of marriage. So you, you see that it's almost a sense, if you could use the word wired, that some people are wired to be single. There's a degree of self-control that they have that Paul says is a gift to which they just don't feel that, that urge uh, to, to date. They're not like burning with passion. They're not like boy crazy or girl crazy or whatever it means. They just, it, they're uniquely wired. But I think for most of us, a good portion of us, the way we're wired is, is different. Most of us are wired not with this kind of gift of singleness, but most of us are gift wired to be in a relationship and within Christianity, a Christian marriage. And so in verses eight through nine, we see that because many are wired to be married, when they say they are with someone because of how they're wired, they're going to eventually, if not immediately, have sexual desires for that person. Now, I want you to kind of step out of this for a minute. Um, I think a lot of us, when we're, when we're dating and, and even, even single, we, we fight the wrong thing in this area. So here's what I mean by this. What you need to know is that many of us are wired to have desire. Did you know that? That's not bad. It's when sin steps in and turns that desire into lust. You see that? Because what lust does is it wants to take what isn't ours. It, it's, it's greedy. It goes after what's not ours. And so the desire there is natural. And so in our dating relationships, what happens, I think, is if that is a literally a struggle or something that you just paint with a pretty brush and say you're struggling with is that we, we try to fight the wrong thing. We're like, oh, I can't, can't believe I have these desires. Like, oh man, just, oh, I'm so terrible. Don't fight the desires. Give the desires guidelines and boundaries. Does that make sense? That's not a bad thing. God has wired you that way. Some of you are like, oh, I think I'm with him. And then when we go to verse nine, they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. We see logically that the marriage bed is the only bed reserved for sex. Otherwise, Paul and the Bible wouldn't be concerned about this burning sexual passion. Y'all see that? Why would he care if you were burning with passion if sex was okay outside of marriage? You see that? Why would he give this whole argument? Like, Paul, but God does care. It is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, why would an unmarried person be burning with passion? Because if they're wired, many of us in this room, to be in union with a spouse, then you will have sexual desires, and those desires are obviously supposed to be filled in marriage to a believing spouse, someone you're yoked to. And I hope you can see this. Like this week, I was reading this. I was like, oh my goodness, that's so clear. Like the logical argumentation, why would he care if we're burning with passion? Oh, it's because you're not supposed to be burning with passion for long. You're supposed to marry that person. Does that make sense? Get some kind of nod, we're some tracking. Maybe listen back to the podcast. I try to give you a good argument for that. 
Okay, we're gonna lean back again. Y'all ready for that? Even I'm kind of tired, all right? So I don't know if any of you um, have any fond memories of Christmas growing up. Anybody here? Yeah, fond memories of Christmas. How many of you had like, I'm not talking about like those small, like wimpy, dinky little presents, but like you had this like huge present under the tree. You know what I mean? And it was there. Of course, the biggest one was like the first one there. You have to look at it for weeks. And you're wondering like what, what it is. And so that the temptation of the inner child is, is to do what before Christmas Day? To peek at it? That's good. Like if it's in a bag, maybe shake it. And did any of you ever like, like notice your moms are not gonna watch. We're gonna kind of, let's say this is a present and like here's a tree, just, just follow me, okay? Or here's a tree, here's a present. And he kind of like kneeled down and kind of like kind of did that, kind of opened the wrapper a little bit to see what's in there. Anybody? Raise hand. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so y'all are lying. You're lying in church. Um, Hey, and so the inner child wants to go and, and open that gift, even though it's not Christmas Day, even though probably the parents told them not, it's, it's not the time. And sometimes, you know what happens to little kids? They open gifts that aren't even theirs. It doesn't even belong to them. Like, I'm so ready for Eleanor, my, my newborn, to get to that age. And I hope she opens, like, one of Caitlin's presents. And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just laughing. She will never open mine. I just know it. Um, if I believed in karma, I'd be in trouble. And so, anyway, we... You get where I'm going with this? Like we, as the, the, the inner child, kind of the, the rebellious part of us, we, we want to open that gift even though it's not time yet. It's not Christmas Day. And sometimes what we do is we, we say, even, even at three years old or whatever, this is my world. I make my own rules. I don't care. I'm not following the authority. I'm not, my parents told me not to. I don't care. Like, I'm going to open the gift. And sometimes we, we open it and we either get in trouble or our parents laugh. Like, like I'm probably going to laugh if that ever happens. But Eleanor, Here's where I'm going. I think a lot of us in how we think about sex, how we think about our relationships and marriage, are, we're, we're kind of like that inner child towards the gift under the Christmas tree. And, and to carry this metaphor through, biblically, Christmas Day would, would be the, the wedding day when, when you're married. And we, we kind of see the, the, the gift of sex is, oh, man, I don't, man, I, I can, uh, just like the Christmas gift, like, I can wait and have delayed joy or can have joy now. And some of us think about that. We look at the gift of sex, like, I can wait. No point. I don't know why. We just do it now. Why not? Here's the problem. Remember when I said that sometimes that, that kid opens a gift that doesn't belong to them? If you're not married, you're, you're opening a gift that doesn't belong to you. God has only given that gift of, of sex to those that are married. And so when we, when we do that, we're, we're saying, like an inner rebellious child, the God we're shaking our fists, and no, I, I make the rules, and, and we, sometimes we... We look foolish, and that foolishness can, can cause a lot of damage. You see where I'm going with this? And, and the same thing can, can be said about pornography. Guys and girls struggle with this a lot. And the problem with that is you're, you're looking at someone portraying this opening of a gift that doesn't belong to them and it doesn't belong to you. You're 
to keep the metaphor, you're looking at a gift that you should never have even seen. It's not even your tree. It's not even in your home. So I want you to contrast this. I want you to see this truth. Sexual pleasure before marriage equals rebellion against sin and, and reckless care of your body. But sexual pleasure in marriage is actually pleasing to God. It's actually a truly beautiful and wonderful gift that he's given. And what I'm telling you is someone on the other side and married and all that marriage is, I'm going to tell you that just like the Christmas present, you know if you did wait till Christmas Day, there's a, there's a lot of, of joy and excitement because you waited and that was the proper time of which to open that gift. And with marriage, when you wait until the proper time of which God has fixed on your wedding day to open that gift, it's all the more joyful and all the more beautiful because what you're doing is you're participating in the gift that God has given you. His hand of affirmation is on you. It is officially a blessing and gift from him. Did y'all see that? So, so what I, I'm going to ask you to do and I challenge you to do is trust God. Even when it doesn't feel like it, that reserving and saving yourself from marriage is, is well worth the wait. I'm going to encourage you to put boundaries in place that guard you and the one you're dating from sexual sin. Wait to open that gift. Be the obedient child of God. Picture that gift under the tree. Be the obedient child of God that waits to open that gift until God says so. Amen? How far is too far, though? Right? Like is, uh, And I don't know why, like, I don't know if you heard me, is making out okay to do as a Christian? Like, and why do we bring baseball into it? What does baseball have to do? First base, second base, third? Like, leave baseball alone, all right? Like, I just want to watch the Rangers, all right? We ask, hey, like, picture guys, what, what base can I stand on and still be, like, in the clear with the, the man upstairs? You know what I mean? Ooh, man. It's a dangerous question. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 27 to 28, is talking about warnings against adultery. It asks, can a man, say woman too in this context, can a, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Friends, I'm gonna tell you, if you play with fire, eventually you're gonna get burned. I've never met anybody, for example, who has taken a sip of alcohol, I'm not saying alcohol's bad, I'm just giving you an example, has taken a sip of alcohol at any point in their life and not also gotten drunk. Like, you give it like a year or two. I'm not saying alcohol's bad, drunkenness is a sin. In the same way, okay, because we lack self-control. We, we are very lustful creatures. So in the same way, I've never met a Christian couple who made out just once. I've never met a, a Christian couple who, instead of defining the lines, decided to kind of blur those lines just a little bit and, and at some point wouldn't have admitted that in their conscience and their conviction of the Holy Spirit, at some point they did admit, hey, we went too far. And that line may not always be clear, but let me ask you, is that not 
a dangerous question? Hey, how long can I play with fire until I get burned? I don't know. Maybe don't even find out, right? That's the idea. Like scripture wants you to see this question as a dumb question. And it's a good question because I think when we ask that, it gets us to a better question. Here is the better question, friends. What you should ask in a dating relationship, how can I make this relationship as pleasing to God as possible? And I think the, the practical answer is by putting boundaries that sort of guard you from sexual sin as a couple. But we want to we find out if we're, if we're compatible. How are we supposed to know that if we don't have sex? We're going to have to live together forever. Friends, God's word says it's not your gift to open yet. Don't you think God's wise? Don't you think he's heard that objection before? Like we, we, we object to like, hmm, I got one for you, God. You never heard of this one. And he's like, yeah, about 3,000 years ago I heard that one. I've been saying this from the beginning. From the garden, we've made excuses to basically say, God, you don't know what you're talking about, but I do. We need to choose today whose word has final authority in our life, amen? All of you can amen that, even if you're squirming a little bit in your seat. We need to choose this day who has final authority in our life, whose word, is it, is it yours or is it God's? What could the Bible possibly stand to offer for wisdom in dating and marriage? What, what could it possibly offer to us? The Bible teaches, one, to date and marry only believers, and from this text that we just read, it teaches us to save ourselves from marriage. So here's where I want to close tonight. I, I, I want to ask you, you don't have to raise your hand, like where is, where is the redemption in all this? Because I want you to know that I, I, I'm not confused. Like I know that just this is not powerful enough to create change in your heart. Just this alone, without God working in your life is just gonna make you feel guilty and feel bad about yourself because the reality is every point that I made tonight, some of you have blown that already, right? Like you've, you've blown it. You've, you've disobeyed, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, to, to date and, and marry and be yoked only with, most of you aren't married, but to date only those who are believers because you're, you're looking in them not just to have fun, but to see if they'll make a good spouse. Some of you have blown that. Some of you in this room have gone way too far. Some of you have given yourselves in marriage. And if we were to just have these points in Scripture tonight and say, all right, go home and done, I understand the fact that that would be super discouraging. And I understand that that could possibly leave you in a place without redemption and without hope. And so my question the second question I'm asking tonight is, not only what does the Bible offer, but where is the redemption for us who have messed up and blown it? Look no further than the cross of Christ. I, I, I feel like in, um, where's the answer for those who've messed up and blown it? Like, and I, in so many areas of life, messed up and, and, and blown it. That's the whole point of the gospel. See, a lot of you for years, you've struggled with this. 
And you, you walk around as, as if you believe that God is about half mad at you all the time. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to talk to someone that's half mad at me, right? A lot of you have been struggling with this for so long, and you know what to do, and you're not doing it, and you think God is always half mad at you, and you think that this area of your life makes or breaks whether he loves you. Like you, you hear, you believe that he loves other people, but, but you don't believe that he loves you. Like you know it in your head, but you don't believe it in your heart. And friends, what I'm gonna plead with you to look at, if you want evidence that God loves you and that he met you, not whenever you were pursuing him and just killing it and applying all of this sermon in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, but whenever you were in rebellion against him, Romans five says that he loved us and he met us and he saved us when we were enemies. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the sins that we committed. Children constantly opening gifts that were not ours to open that God had not given. And so you ask me, where is the redemption? That the redemption is found at the cross and at the empty tomb because we don't just serve a dead God, we, we serve a God who takes your sin, nails it to the cross, buries it, leaves it there, raises from the dead, and, find, and we find victory over, over death and sin for all eternity in Christ. And what you do when you believe in him is that you're united with him. And so even in those struggles right now, believers, even in those struggles right now, you are united with Christ and in you, you have the lifeblood of resurrection power and living. And when, when, when God sees you, I know you can't believe this, we talk about the, the child that opens the gift. God doesn't see you, even in your struggles and your sin, as that child that's stubborn and rebellious because of Christ what he's done for you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, amen? If there's hope for a guy like me, there's hope for you. That's where the redemption is. There's a lot of books that we could read on this subject with a lot of authors, but God, God is the author of love. God is the author of relationships. God is the author of marriage and all its beauty and sexual relationships. So let's listen to him, amen? Can you, can you listen to him? Because when it comes to questions of singleness, dating, and marriage, he wrote the book. He wrote the book. Let's pray. Would you just take a minute to respond, and I want you to just ask God, Lord, where in your word tonight do I find this chasm between my, my life and your word? God, where do I need to repent? God, where in my life have I, have I just believed my whole life that you're always half mad at me, that in Christ I'm not only forgiven, but I'm your, I'm your son and daughter? In just a moment, we're gonna sing a song, Singing in the Victory, and what I wanna challenge you to do is don't you utter a word of that song until you believe it, because victory over sin and redemption and reconciliation is found in Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna give you a moment just to respond to that.
then the band will lead us. We hope you are encouraged by today's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about The Journey, check us out on Instagram or Facebook at The Journey LBK. Thanks for listening.